Hello, and welcome to the least popular podcast on the internet. The podcast that even my friends and family don't listen to. No, I, um, people do listen to this podcast, and I'm very happy that they do, and very grateful that they do, and um, hopefully more people will in the future. But um, today I wanted to talk about, well, really I wanted to talk about why I started the website throwthemintheriver.com. Uh, this podcast is a part of that, and it's a, a part of a big idea that's related to that. And I wanted to talk about about that, the reasons behind it, um, why I got started with it, um, and also where the story comes from, what my sort of, I suppose, inspirations or or the the ideas that came together that sort of sparked it into life, and sort of gave it the the impetus and the energy to, to, to start and to keep moving forward. Um, for people who don't know or listening maybe for the first time, throwthemintheriver.com is a website and the website uh, is to tell a story. It exists to tell a story. It's a storytelling website. Um, to some extent, it's, you could say it's just like a novel uh, that's, released in chapters on a website, free for people to read. Um, but it's, I hope, a little bit more than that. Um, one of the reasons I chose to, to, to do it this way is because, well, I was thinking about um, how people talk about novels being, as someone who wants to be a novelist, let's say, I was thinking about how the idea that the novel is dead or the novel is dying, and of course about how recent and um, you know how recent a, um, a form the novel is. You know, it hasn't been around for all that long, really, uh, particularly in the sense of the modern, you know, the modern novel. I guess you could stretch back to Cervantes, but really you're probably looking at the way the novel is now in the publishing industry and things like that you're you're looking really at more to the sort of Jane Austens and the, that period uh, up until the present day and it may be that the novel in that in that form and being disseminated in that form um, is dying or, or or close to being dead but storytelling isn't storytelling certainly isn't and, you know, I guess I'd be very inspired by people like Walter Benjamin and, you know, in, in kind of almost in every aspect of my life, to be honest, I'm very inspired by, by him and his work. But his, his, um, his essay, The Storyteller, really inspired me in my own kind of belief that what I am at heart is a storyteller. What I want to do is tell stories and whatever form they 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 take, it doesn't really matter to me as long as they get out there and people are exposed to them and people have the opportunity to engage with them um, if I have a story to tell, which essentially I always do. Um, and then I also kind of put that together with the idea that, look, um, perhaps there's another form or a new form, not to be too grand, of novel that's appropriate for the modern age. I mean, to use the technology that's there and basically to be able to tell a story 
it's similar to a novel, but that every chapter also comes with, you know, with images, uh, with sounds. So I can link songs, uh, songs that I've written the lyrics to, but also, you know, just other songs that have inspired me to the chapters of the novel um, to help create a particular kind of atmosphere. I can use photographs that I've taken um, to uh, also to help with that atmosphere. And then along with that, I wanted to have a sort of an audio book element to it. So for people who prefer to consume their stories uh, by listening to someone read rather than by, by, by reading them on a page or on, on the internet, uh, I, you know, I, I wanted to have the recording there for um, for each chapter, and a good way to do that, it seemed to me, a good way to do that was to to be, to create it so easy now to create a podcast and then link that to every to every chapter, and where we've got to at the moment, we're maybe not quite, but getting towards halfway the halfway point in the story, uh, as it exists in my head at the moment, getting to about the halfway point in the story, and. Um, lately um it's been a very difficult and crazy year for me like it has been for a great many people um and i i i haven't had the time to get the website to where i want it to be exactly but hopefully over the next month or so i will be able to get it to um to basically have half the half the story told on there and have the um, the audio version up to date as well. It's something I will be working on um, over the summer, and uh, hopefully getting that 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 to you. Um, yeah, um, over the next sort of four to six weeks. But I also thought I'd talk today about you know why I if you've been reading the or listening to the the book um, or the, the story or the novel or whatever you want to call it. I mean, you will, you know that it's a, it's a story about um, two lives that intersect after one of them has ended. It's a story about a person working in a city that's similar to the Dublin I grew up in, not the Dublin of today. Um, but isn't the Dublin I grew up in either. Um, that person happens to be a detective and is investigating the death of a very old man who ended his life in, in, in that city that's similar to Dublin, but started it somewhere, I guess, similar to Russia or somewhere in Eastern Europe. Um, I've been very careful to make everything not quite as it really is. One of the things I really wanted to do, because um, I guess I feel this way about life. It may be a bit of a glib phrase, but I've, I've always tried to write in ways that make the familiar strange and the strange familiar. So I've, I've tried to write about things I don't know as if I know them intimately. And I write about things that I know intimately as if I don't know them. Because for me, that's an aspect of everyday life. I, I find one of the most obvious characteristics of everyday life. And Borke said it's complexity. I, I find it to be strangeness or uncanniness. Um, I find 
my experience of life a great deal of the time to be one of just finding things uncanny as if I've either been there before or as if it just isn't quite real. <laughs> I do find it difficult to accept a lot of reality as real. Um, and I find that kind of fascinating and scary and it causes a lot of anxiety. And um, one of the ways that I found, one of the techniques that I enjoyed the most and I found to convey that in writing is, is as I said, to write about things which are very familiar to me, like the Dublin that I grew up in, as if they are different places, slightly fictionalized places. And then also to write about things that are not at all familiar to me, um, as if I know them intimately. And that creates the kind of atmosphere that equates often to the way I experience and I imagine a lot of people experience reality on a day-to-day -day basis and that's why you know that's that's why Trolled in the River is written in in the way that it is and it's a it's a story that's been sort of brewing in me for a long time while I've written other things written, written children's books and um, song lyrics and and short stories and and, and things poems that this one started out actually started out the idea started out called diary of a menshevik in my head and was just just going to be a novel like sort of conventional novel um and it's changed over time to the form it's in now throw them in the river um because i, I think as i've said the form now that this the structure with the two characters um seems more honest to me um to my experience of reality um, the basic idea is a very simple one and I think the thing that really got it started the sort of the sort of initial spark that got it started was very simply an idea that I have found in other people's writing and and I also have just found in the world that in some ways you can, and this is kind of crude, but you can break people down into two types of people. I know there's not just two types of people, but you can almost break people down into two types of people. And and one type of person is, is basically thoughtful, reflective, decent, you know, and it's got nothing to do with being perfect or anything. And it's, it doesn't necessarily have to do with your politics, but, um, yeah, some people are thoughtful, they're decent, they're, they're helpful, but capable of minding their own business. Essentially the kind of people you want to be around. And then there's another kind of person who is the opposite, who's kind of power hungry, arrogant, bullying, unreflective, those kind of things. And that, you know, the, the, Years and years ago, I read in William Burroughs' book, The Place of Dead Roads, and this runs through a lot of Burroughs' work, but um, the very beginning, I just said, the very beginning of that book by William Burroughs, The Place of Dead Roads, is the original title, he says, was The Johnson Family. And um, as he says here, and I'm reading from The Place of Dead Roads here, 
the Johnson family was a turn of the century, so that's between the 1800s and 1900s, turn of the century expression to designate good bums and thieves. It was elaborated into a code of conduct. Johnson honors his obligations. His word is good and he's a good man to do business with. Johnson minds his own business. He's not snoopy, self-righteous or a troublemaking person. Johnson will give help when help is needed. He will not stand by when someone is drowning or trapped under a burning car. The only thing that could unite the planet is a united space program. The Earth becomes a space station and war is simply out, irrelevant, flatly insane in the context of research centers, spaceports, and the exhilaration of working with people you like and respect towards an agreed upon objective, an objective from which all workers will gain. Happiness is a byproduct of function. The planetary space station will give all participants an opportunity to function. Now, I've always absolutely loved the idea of the Johnson family. You know, they're kind of my kind of people, shall we say. Um, and I, I do find it interesting now reading this again after all these years that, you know, you remember William Burroughs' old idea of like, we're here to go, here to go. Um, and that idea, his, his, his obsession with, the, with Spaceship Earth, Earth and how we were all going to work together to, um, on Spaceship Earth to, um, to uh, progress. I think at the moment we're kind of seeing that that's not what's happened. Burroughs is very prescient about lots of things, but he wasn't about this. I think we see what's happened with Jeff Bezos and Richard Branson at the moment, when the news at the moment, um, where it's basically billionaires, um, billionaire capitalists who are going into space. Um, and it's really dividing people much more than it's bringing people together. It's not giving people the exhilaration of working with people you like and respect toward an agreed upon objective an objective from which all workers gain. It's pretty much the opposite of, of that, unfortunately. But that idea of the Johnson family, from when I read that many years ago, when I was a teenager, really, really um, meant something to me and, 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 and crystallized something for me. And when I was studying, you know, just cas casually studying Russian history and found out about the, the Mensheviks, um, the Mensheviks, you know, as opposed to the Bolsheviks, I very quickly got the idea that the Mensheviks were kind of the good guys in the Russian Revolution. They were the moderates. They were the people who could mind their own business. They were the people who helped when help was needed, but didn't need to be in control of everything. Um, they were the, the people you'd want to be around. They were the people that the Russian Revolution should have been, um, should have ended up being modeled after rather than the Bolsheviks. Um, now, I don't really know if that's true. I very quickly stopped reading about the Mensheviks once I sort of heard about them and I started to get a fictional idea in my head of who the Mensheviks were as opposed to the Bolsheviks. I very quickly just went and started to and basically did what I usually do and decided, right, well, that that means more to me in my fictionalized formulation in my mind than if I was to keep reading about it and keep learning too much about it. I, I mean, I did keep reading, whatever, but I, I just managed to keep this other idea of, of um, Mensheviks as similar to the Johnson family in my um, in my mind but that really then that would you know as I said the the story die of a Menshevik sort of started from there where I started writing about a person who a sort of almost impossibly old person who was in the Russian Revolution and was a Menshevik and then had left Russia and traveled throughout the world 
and uh, ended up in Dublin and dies in Dublin as a as a bum, as a Johnson, um, as a homeless person. And um, and then that his life story being reconstructed by a, a detective from Dublin who'd be kind of consumed by that life story. And um, and we would learn about it retrospectively through that person. That changed a little bit um, because I didn't want it to be that historical. I wanted to keep that basic idea, um, but I didn't want it to be that historical. And I also didn't want it to be as as I didn't want to make uh, Nikolai Raisov my Menshevik explicitly a Menshevik, and I didn't want to make him explicitly a good guy. And another one of my another one of my kind of obsessions when I write, one of those kind of uh, rows that I hoe all the time when I write, started to come out, which was this idea of giving life to and voice to the kind of running dogs of history. I have a lot of family connections to people who are just, you know, in the in the police and the in the police in the in the army, things like that. People who I jokingly say were, you know, you know, that we kind of made our bones and, and paid the bills in organized state repression. And um I, I, I've always wanted to to rehabilitate the humanity of the of the ordinary uh, you know, policeman or woman or soldier. Um, yeah, the people at the sharp end of uh, of you know the good and the bad of 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 legitimized state, legitimized violence, if you like. I've always wanted to realistically acknowledge that experience the difficulties, the good and the bad of it, and the humanity of it. Uh, and that's something I will always do uh, and always strive to do. So I made Nikolai Raisov a, a, a initially a border guard and then a prison, a prison officer who is uh, framed and disgraced and gave him that sort of life experience. And yeah, that's... Um, I've been talking for nearly twenty minutes now about 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 all this, but I I um I thought this was maybe a good time just to you know talk about what I'm trying to do with throw them in the river, um the kind of impact I'm 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 trying to have and the way I'm approaching it and the way I'm going about it. Um, thank you for listening. Keep listening, please keep reading. Throw them in the river.com. Let other people know. Uh, if you like it, if you enjoy it, let other people know. Um, yeah, I want other people to read it. I want people to, 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 to read it and enjoy it. Give me any feedback that you like. You can you can contact me. Um, you can contact me um, through the website. Uh, you can contact me through the, the Facebook page. Um, I know there are issues with Facebook, but I'm an old man, and Facebook is one I understand how to use. If you're morally comfortable with using Facebook, then, you know, throwthemintherivers.com, uh, throwthemintheriver has, a, has a, a Facebook page, 
I'd love to hear from you there. Um, for now, bye for now. Be a Johnson, be a Menshevik. And um, yeah, uh, and be safe. And and read, throw them in the river. <laughs> okay, bye.